Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, as we come today, we bow down before your throne of grace, Lord. And we lay down everything that we have to offer. And Lord, we come to listen intently for your word, Lord, so that we might grow in likeness to Christ and build up a church that is centered upon your grace and your goodness, striving to give you glory and honor in all that we do. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We continue in Acts here. Acts chapter 2, finishing up chapter 2. thought we'd just go on and finish that chapter up since we're so close to the end. Uh, we've been looking at the uh, Seeking Awakening over the last couple of Sundays, looking at Acts chapter 2, and the first uh, message that we heard from Acts chapter 2 was we were seeking awakening by seeking the power of God through prayer and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, foundational, if we're going to see awakening in our city, we must depend on the power of God in prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then last Sunday we looked at uh, seeking awakening by depending upon the power of the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And if we depend upon these things, if we begin to, to work at these things and display these things, if we begin to really set ourselves to prayer, if we really begin to depend on God and the Holy Spirit that He has given us, and if we begin to depend upon the message of the gospel and the power of the gospel, then what will we see? We will see what's taking place in these verses. The church will begin to expand and grow. And as we seek to grow and expand the church of God, then we need to find out how to build that church, how to uh, build it and make it strong. So today we're looking at the building blocks of the expanding church as we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. So stand with me, if you will, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. We'll pick up at verse uh, 41 just to kind of blend it all together. So those who received his word, Peter's word, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. If you build a house, then certainly you've got to take care of how you build it. If you want a strong, sturdy house, a house that will stand the test of time, that will last through the ages, then you, you must begin with a solid foundation. Solid foundation is an absolute must. If you don't have a solid foundation, the house will soon collapse. You must start with a solid foundation, and then you got to begin with building upon that foundation with sturdy building material. Shoddy material will always end with a rickety house. If you want a solid house, then you got to begin with a solid foundation and solid building blocks. The same is true in building the church. If we want to build the church to be a lasting church, a strong church, a God-glorifying church, then we must begin first and foremost with the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. There is no other foundation. He is the rock upon which we must build. Every other foundation is as sand. And anything built upon sand will not last long. So we must begin with that solid foundation, but then we must begin to build on that solid foundation with solid building blocks. And what are those building blocks? Well, there's some simple, key kingdom principles with which we must build the church. And we see that in our passage today. Radical church growth requires radical devotion to simple kingdom principles. Let me say that again. Radical church growth requires radical devotion to simple kingdom principles. And I hope that's what we see here today as we look at this passage. So as we look at this then, the first thing that we notice here as we consider the building blocks of the expanding church is that this church, this first century church, this first church, they began to build, first of all, with radical devotion to the means of grace. Radical devotion to the means of grace. Now, notice what he says there. And they devoted themselves. Now, that word devoted, we need to understand clearly what Luke is telling us here. That word devotion means to continue to do something with intense effort. Continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of despite difficulty. No one said that Christianity was easy. In fact, Christ tells us that Christianity is difficult. The way he describes being a part of the church, a disciple of Christ, is that you take up your cross daily. Crucify your flesh, 
Take up your cross daily. Now, the cross is not an instrument of ease by any means. The cross is an instrument of suffering. And we must take up our cross day by day, struggle in this world, struggle against sin, struggle against this body of flesh, so that we may follow after Christ. It requires devotion. Devotion to here, they, they gave themselves to devoting themselves to what? To means of grace. And let me, I know that's not a, a common phrase. We don't hear that often. So let me explain what I mean there by means of grace. And, and your outline there you have has it defined for you as well. But means of grace means this, any activities within the fellowship of the church that God uses to give more grace to Christians. Any activities, any activities within the fellowship of the church, within the body of believers that God uses to give more grace to Christians. Now, we're not talking about saving grace. We're saved by grace by God's grace, through faith in Christ alone. So it's saving faith in Christ Jesus is, or faith in Christ Jesus is saving faith. So we're not talking about, what we're talking about here is not something to, to save you, although it, it can kind of help lead people to salvation even still, but salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we're talking about means of grace, how we become more sanctified, how we become more like Christ in our walk with Christ. And so God gives us certain means. He uses means to help us grow to be like Christ. And this early church gave themselves, devoted themselves to means of grace. And what we have listed here, understand, is not exhaustive. There are many others that we could add in here. But we see four that we want to look at this morning that are implied in the text. First of all, they gave themselves, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Apostles' teaching, in other words, through, to biblical instruction. One of the great means of grace, one of the great means that God uses to help us grow to be like Christ is His Word and the preaching of that Word. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, Paul ends his letter to Timothy, to this young preacher, by saying, I charge you in the presence of God and, the, and, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the world, or the, to, to, excuse me, to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Timothy, in light of, of Christ, in light of God, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, why does he tell him this? Well, we have to back up just a hair and figure out why he tells him, why his final command to this young pastor is to preach the word and be ready in season and out of season if you back up to chapter 3 verse 16 Paul tells him all scripture is breathed out by God that it is, it is God's inspired word all scripture is breathed out by God 
and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. One of the main ways that God uses, one of the main means that God uses to help us grow in Christ's likeness is the instruction of his word. And one of the, the place that we get that, the main place, the the, the prime place that we get instruction in God's Word is right here in the church. God equips pastors to, to study the Word and to teach the Word. We get it at other places. Yes, we do. We get it in Sunday school class and our life groups. We, we want to go there and we study the Word together and we come to understanding of how we apply it to our lives in those life groups. We, we study the Scripture at home. I hope you study your Scriptures at home. Read the Word daily. But one of the primary places, the first place that God gives us to hear the Word, be instructed by the Word, is here in the church as the Word is being proclaimed and applied to us. So we must give ourselves, if we want to build a solid church, then we must devote ourselves to biblical instruction. Second, we must devote ourselves to Christian fellowship. To Christian fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The fellowship. Now there's a definite article there. The fellowship. And he's going to talk more about fellowship in a minute. But right here in this place, I don't think what Luke is telling us is that they were simply devoted to getting together and eating meals together and all that. That stuff's important and we're going to see that in a moment. But when he says they devoted themselves to the fellowship what he is talking about here is coming together as the church as the body of believers what we do here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday we come together for Christian fellowship for uniting together to to learn together to encourage one another in our walks together let me tell you friend it is absolutely important that you are here Week after week, be a part of this church. You should never miss church unless you are absolutely sick or something is absolute. You cannot, you can't get away from it. Sick, uh, you're working, uh, whatever. I mean, it better be a good reason if you miss church. Really. Today, I think I've shared this before, but I looked at a study not too long ago, and normally used to, what they would determine as a regular church attender was, you know, if they were there week after week after week. But now the statisticians, they, they have a different way of measuring that. If a person is there at least a couple of times a month, then they reckon that person a regular church attender. Isn't that sad? I mean, that's ridiculous. 
We should be more concerned with our life in Christ, more concerned with our being more like Him, glorifying God with our lives, that we should be here week after week after week. And if you're on vacation, dear friend, great. Everybody needs a vacation. I need a vacation, and I'm going to take vacation. But even on vacation, if you can't be here, then go join another church and fellowship with that body of believers and be encouraged by them. Dear friend, you should never miss church, if at all possible. We should give ourselves to the Christian fellowship, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Boy, don't we see the day drawing near today? We are far closer to Christ's return today than, than Luke was and Peter was and all of those guys were. We are close. And if we look at the way our world is going, we have to say that the time is coming. Christ will be returning before long. We need to give ourselves, instead of doing what the church has been doing, instead of doing our own thing and just coming when it's convenient, we should be all the more concerned to come together as the body of Christ week after week after week, hearing the Word, learning the Word, encouraging one another in the Word. We must give ourselves, be devoted to Christian fellowship and Third, we must be devoted to church ordinances. Church ordinances. Notice what they say, he says there. They give themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Now, really, in, in that phrase there, at, before bread, there's another definite article. Uh, most translations, English translations, leave that out. But it should read, to the breaking of the bread. And I think in the context here of what we're, we're seeing here, they're talking more about the corporate gathering here. What we are seeing here is, is he's saying uh, the breaking of the bread, of, of keeping the Lord's Supper, participating in the Lord's Supper. And if we read the rest of the context, we see Peter talking about baptism just prior to this, then we have both of the ordinances that are commanded by our Lord that we are to observe together. Now, let's understand that when we come to observe the Lord's Supper, it's not about just eating a chip and drinking a sip. That's not what it's about. It's not just something that we go through because it's uh, just a ceremony of the church. No, there's, there's meaning in the Lord's Supper. Great meaning. Oh, man, when we know that the time for the Lord's Supper is coming, we ought to be excited about that. And we ought to be preparing our hearts and our minds for that. Because that is a testimony. That's a testimony for what Christ has done for us. He, he broke his body. He allowed his body to be broken. He allowed his blood to be poured out for our salvation. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are testifying that we are participating in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it serves as not only a testimony to others, but it also serves as a reminder to us. We're a part of Him. We're no longer 
our own person. We are Christ's. We are in Him. And we live for Him. The same with the, the baptism. The baptism is not just coming up here and, and dunking people in a dunking booth. No, that's, there's more to it. It's a testimony of what takes place when we come to salvation in Christ. We are buried with Him in His death and brought back to life with a new life in Him. That's serious business. It reminds us of who we are in Christ. What He has done for us and who we are in Him. And these are all commandments of the Lord. He commands us to observe the Lord's Supper. He commands us to be baptized. When you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, now there's nothing saving about the water. We're saved again by God's grace through faith in Christ. But that is the first place that we follow His command. That's the first act of obedience that we do as a follower of Jesus Christ. We go and we get baptized as Jesus was baptized. And we testify to the world that we are in Him. Our bodies are crucified in Him. And in Him we're raised to new life. And we give our life to Him. And so the church ordinances are very important. We must devote ourselves to observing the church ordinances. So we must devote ourselves to biblical instruction, Christian fellowship, church ordinances, and corporate worship. And corporate worship, that last little phrase there, and the prayers. Another definite article. The prayers, right? So this is not just prayers in general. Now, we, we should devote ourselves to praying day by day at home in private time in our personal time with the Lord, that's for sure. But uh, again, I think Luke is, is looking here at not just those private moments of prayer and our prayer closet, but coming together to the prayers, the prayers. And, and he is indicating again that corporate gathering of believers, we're to come together. We're to participate in corporate worship with one another, which involves prayers, which involves singing, which involves all of these things. We're to come and pray together and do life together, worship together. And that's very important. Again, we must come together. It is so important. If we want to be like Christ we want to grow to be like Him. It is so important that we get in the church, get involved in the church, be active, faithful members in the church. Because it's there that we really begin to grow, become strong in the Lord. So as this church and as our church begins to Build an expanding church. Striving to build an expanding church, we begin with devotion to the means of grace. Radical devotion to the means of grace. Second, second building block is radical love for one another. Radical love for one another. Notice what he says here, just continuing on there in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home. See, that's a different breaking bread. So they showed radical love for one another. These, this early church, they showed a radical love for one another. What's, what's going on here? First of all, there's intentional unity here. Intentional unity. What is radical love for one another? It's intentionally unifying type of love. They were together and they had all things in common. They were intentionally unified as a body. Uh, now this is what Paul tells us in Ephesians as well. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, let me just continue there, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are called to be a unified body of believers, to be unified, to be intentionally unified. It, it, it takes intentionality to be unified, doesn't it? I can say yes. Uh -huh, yeah, uh -huh. it, it does, it does. It takes intentionality. We have to be intentional about that. Because our old bodies of flesh, you see, they still want what they want. We still have that tendency to be selfish, and I want it this way, and I like these songs, and I like Sunday school to be at this time, and I like this, and I like that. And see, we want to be selfish. And so we have to work at being unified. Well, we got to do what Paul says. We got to practice humility. We've got to humble ourselves we got to think uh, more of others than we do of ourselves. And, and if it's good for the body, I may not like it, but if it's good for the whole body, let's do it. It's that kind of attitude. we got to humble ourselves and think more of others than we do ourselves. we got to be intentional about unity in the body. Sometimes that means we have to suffer loss ourselves so that the body might be unified one with the other. We must be intentionally unified. Second, we must have uncommon common care. We must have uncommon common care. Uh, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as or just as any had need. Can you imagine what's taking place here? They're selling off property. They're selling off their belongings because they are seeing brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting and who have needs, and they want to meet those needs. They want to care for one another. This is uncommon, common care for one another. Now, understand that this is not communal living. I know some some people have mistaken that and, and taken this verse and, and they've read that as, uh, you know, that's meaning communal living. So let's sell everything we own, move out here in a field somewhere together and just have all things in common. 
But that's not what they're doing here. There, there wasn't that, that community, that, that sect that was taking place in early Christianity. Now, those things were there in other religions. That some of the, the Jewish people, they had some Jewish sects that were separating themselves from the culture and thinking the, the best way to, for them to live and to serve God was just to get out of the world and out there on their own. But God didn't call us to be out of the world. He called us to be in the world, just not of the world, right? He called us to live in the world. How can we accomplish our mission in Christ if we are out of the world? We've got to be in the world, just not of the world. This is a, a radical reversal of values. That's what's taking place. It's a radical reversal of values. Uh, they're doing what's uncommon. What's absolutely uncommon. They are so cared for one another that people were talking about them. In fact, one commentator says the early Christians acknowledged that Jesus owns both them and their property. They sell off property to meet the needs as they arise and open their homes as meeting places for fellow Christians. These actions do not reflect an ascetic ideal as in some Greek and Jewish sects, but instead the practice of radical valuing Christians Excuse me, a practice of radical valuing people over possessions. Such behavior reportedly continued among Christians well into the second century, and it was long ridiculed by pagans until pagan values finally overwhelmed the church. Are we being ridiculed today because of our radical care for one another? I think we need to get back to that place to where the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ is far more important than how much money we have in the bank, how big of a house we live in, how fancy of a car we drive. We want to have a solid church. We've got to have an uncommon, common care for one another. Third, we must, there must be a camaraderie of believers. There must be a camaraderie of believers. That is, there must be an intimate fellowship. That's indicated in this last little bit here in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. You see, they were breaking bread in their homes. This is a little bit different from that first breaking of the bread. Now they're breaking to bread together in their homes. That's that home fellowship. And, and that's more than just having a meal together. In fact, first century Palestine, when they brought people into their homes and they had guests in their homes, when they broke bread together in their homes, it wasn't about the meal. That's not what it was about. It was about the fellowship. It was about sharing life together. Oftentimes they would have a, a teacher who would come or, or someone who would share uh, you know, some Scripture and teach them Scripture, and so they would learn Scripture together. They were to come together, and it was about the relationship, building that relationship. 
We need to have a camaraderie of believers. We need to have intimate fellowship one with another if we want to strengthen the church and grow solid, God-glorifying church. So the first building block, devotion to the means of grace. Second, radical love for one another. Third, radical love for God. Radical love for God. We see this and how they lived, how they received their bread, how they walked and talked here. How do we see it expressed in this passage? First of all, we see the radical love for God expressed in giving thanks. Giving thanks. Notice there in verse 46, the latter part of verse 46, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. What does it mean to receive their food with glad hearts? Let's look at that first. They receive their food with glad hearts. First of all, we need to understand here and notice here the word received. They received, right? That word receives indicates that it was given to them, doesn't it? It's a gift, Tonight when we watch the Super Bowl, you have the quarterback, and he's got the ball, and he's got to give it to the receiver. He's got to let go of it and give it to the receiver for the receiver to receive it, right? And so the indication here, what the apostle is saying here, is that they received their food. It wasn't something that they got on their own. But it was received. Who was it received by? It was or received from? It was received from God. They are recognizing and they are understanding who their provider is, who their sustainer is. It's not, they don't feed themselves by the sweat of their brow. It is God who gives them food. Yes, they go out and sweat and work and earn money, but who gives them the power to earn? God. God is the giver of our being. He, he provides for us. He, he gives us life. He gives us being. We live and breathe and act and do all that we do because God has given us life. He is the giver of everything. All the food that is in your refrigerator, don't think you put it there. God put it there. He is the giver of all things. They received it with glad hearts. They received it giving thanks to God who gives life. Your friend, understand this today. That God gives us, as we think about giving thanks to God, God gives us life. God is the giver of life. Of physical life, as I just explained. But not only the physical life, but He's also the giver of the spiritual life. You are dead apart from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You're spiritually dead outside of the love of God in Christ Jesus. God gives us spiritual life. He is the one who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. There is no life towards God in our bodies But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 
if we only trust in Jesus and believe in Him. God is the giver of life, of physical life, and He is the giver of spiritual life. And if you don't trust in God, if you don't receive life from God, you will not have life. He is the giver of life. Dear friend, brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you don't have spiritual life, you're never going to provide it for yourself. You're never going to do enough good deeds to earn life. You only have life by trusting in God and receiving the life He offers through Jesus Christ, His Son. They gave thanks as we must be giving thanks to God and for His provision. They exercised trust. They exercised trust. Again, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Generous. Generous, that word there indicates that uh, there was giving, right? They not only received their food, but they were generous with their food. They were able to give their food. They didn't have to worry about where it was going to come from. They trusted God that he feeds the, the birds of the air. He clothes the lily of the valley. He will surely provide for us as well. So we trust in God. Therefore, we give. They exercise trust in God. You understand, just as they were selling off their possessions and, and giving of all that they had so that other believers would be taken care of and had their needs met, they were giving freely of food. They were inviting people who were in need over to enjoy meals with them and giving them food, not expecting to have that favor returned to them, but they were generously giving of all that God had given them. Because they trusted God. They knew all of it was from Him, and they knew He would give everything that they needed for life as long as they followed His will. Dear friend, do you have a generous heart? Are you exercising trust in Christ Jesus today by freely giving to those in need, trusting that God will take care of you? They exercise trust. And they also uh, express their love for God by pronouncing praise. Express their love for God by pronouncing praise, praising God. That last little, little phrase there, praising God. They gave praise to God. They gave praise to Him. Now, praise comes in a number of forms. One is by singing and praising God, just like we did here this morning. We sung praises unto the Lord. Another way is by giving testimony, telling people, look what the Lord has done in my life. But you know what the chiefest way of, uh, of pronouncing praise to God is? By sharing the gospel with others. By going out to your friends and neighbors and family and telling them, look what God has done in my life through Christ. Or as people begin to look at the church and begin to think, what is that? what's going on down there? I mean, those guys, they have a, an uncommon, common care for one another. They love one another. They rejoice together. They, they want to come to church on Sunday mornings and, and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. They want to be together. They want to celebrate life with one another. What's going on? Let me tell you what's going on. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. 
We, the chief way that we give praise to God, the chief way that we glorify God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because Christ died on the cross for us. That's why we have life with God. That's why we can rejoice with God. That's why we can worship God with all joy in our hearts because of Christ. How do we come together? How do we love one another so well? It's because Christ first loved us. That's why. You want to know why, why I'm so joyful, why I'm so happy with life, why I don't get depressed all the time and they all think, you know, I'm always down and out and self-serving? You want to know why? Because Christ, Christ suffered and died and was raised again so that I might have a new life, a joyful life in Him. We praise God. We give Him praise and honor and glory by telling others the gift that we have in Jesus Christ. We want to build a strong church. And we must give ourselves to radically loving God. And then we see the radical results. We see the radical results. What does all of this lead to? What does all this lead to if, we're, if we radically are devoted radically to uh, the means of grace, if we radically love one another, if we radically love God? What happens? What, what do we see? Look at these radical results that take place. First of all, there's spiritual growth. There's spiritual growth. Look at verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. First, and all came upon every soul. All. What does that mean? As they were growing together, as they were giving themselves to the apostles' teaching, as they were coming together and devoting themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and, and the prayers and worshiping together, as they were devoting themselves to these means of grace, as they were loving one another, as they were loving God, what was taking place was they began to see God more clearly for who He was. That's why awe came upon everyone. They are in awe of God. As they learn more about God, as they see God, they get a clear vision of God. Do you want a clear vision of God? You want to become awed by the glory and the majesty of God? And give yourselves to the preaching and the teaching and the learning of God's Word. We need to gain a, a God-entranced vision of all things so that everything that we do, everything that we see, every, every breath that we take is in awe of God. When we see that, oh, are we going to see transformation? There was awe of God. And then there was the great work of the Spirit. The great work of the Spirit. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's the thing. When God's people get serious about loving God and loving one another and devoting themselves to fellowship of believers, devoting themselves to the preaching and teaching of the Word, 
God begins to do great and wonderful things. Miracles begin to happen. Spirit begins to move. Hearts get turned to Christ. Lives get changed. Families get healed and put back together. Daddies come home. Kids get off of drugs and alcohol. Wonderful, magnificent things begin to take place when God's people give themselves wholly to God. Not only was there spiritual growth, but there was also kingdom growth. There was also kingdom growth. And having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now we read in the, 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 the previous verse 3,000 souls were added to their number that day when Peter was preaching on Pentecost. And now as the church is building uh, the church on the foundation of Christ and building upon uh, with these wonderful building materials, these sturdy building materials, God was blessing them and adding to their number day by day by day those who were being saved. The kingdom was expanding as the church giving themselves to God. Friend, if we want to see this church grow, man, I'd love to see all of these pews filled once again. I would love to see the people in Bastrop falling in love with God. I'd love to see the Spirit move in our city and people coming to know Christ. I would love to see it where even the balcony up there is full. But it's not going to, nothing even close to that is ever going to happen until we get serious about our life in Christ. Until we devote ourselves to Him, to His means of grace, to that love for one another and love for God. But if we do, God will bless. We will see God do great and wonderful works. And draw people to this place. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you want to see radical church growth? Do you want to see the kingdom expand? It's not just about this church, it's about the church, the universal church, the church of God. That's what it's really about. You want to see radical church growth? You want to see radical kingdom growth? Then we must devote ourselves to these kingdom principles. Radical church growth requires radical devotion to these simple kingdom principles. Radical devotion to the means of grace. Radical love for one another. And radical love for God. Are you ready to get serious about your faith today? As you bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want you to pray in your heart right now. 
recognizing your own weakness and your own inability to love God as you ought, to love one another as you ought, to devote yourself to the things of God as you ought, and ask God to empower you. Empower you so that you might be devoted Becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ, our Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this Word that You have given us. Lord, You want us to grow. You want us to be like Christ. You want us to experience this radical love for, for You and radical love for one another. You want us to grow and Lord, we, we recognize today that it is a struggle and it is a battle in this life. It's not easy. It requires devotion. Oh Lord God, I pray that You would give us a heart of devotion. Give us a heart of devotion so that we may daily Crucify our flesh. Take up our cross and follow You. This I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the life-giving power that comes through Jesus Christ. And David's going to be up here. Others will be around as well. So I invite you to come. If you need to know more, if you need to understand more, then I invite you to come. We'll be glad to talk with you. Perhaps you just want to give your life over to Him and rededicate yourself to being devoted to your walk with Christ. And I invite you to come. Come and do that today. We sing, I Surrender All.